and welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics discussing things related to Eastern Europe, politics, uh, military feminism, all sorts of ideas, that, but all of them from a critical perspective. I am Maria Cernat. I'm uh, an academic based in Bucharest, Romania. The co-host, Boyan Stanislavski, unfortunately was not able to make it, but in a sense, uh, I'm happy because I have more time to discuss with our special guest. I'm so happy to welcome to our microphones and cameras Mariana Nieva, a specialist in propaganda coming from Russia. She also teaches uh, the English language and she is quite firm in her beliefs about what's going on in terms of propaganda in Russia. We discussed in the first half of our show the media landscape in general, because for most of us who do not understand Russia, Russian, this country is like a black box. We don't understand much about it, and we only uh, understand what the Western media is discussing with regards to what's going on there. And in the second part, we learn, we learn that the most important uh, media channels, at least in terms of television, are state owned and are dominated by political commentary and the uh, news. And now I want to ask, of course, a very interesting question. Uh, I will present the situation in Romania. In Romania, unfortunately, even though we have publicly owned TV channels and uh, privately owned TV channels, there is one thing that remains like a constant. And that is the fact that we have all male panels. And when it comes especially to the military, we have men discussing these problems as if women are not at all present. And let me tell you that we have very intelligent women specializing in international affairs, specializing in international politics and law, but for some reason they are not present. So I'm very curious from what you saw, Maria, do you have important women voices present in the media arena when discussing politics and military affairs? Um, of course, uh, yes, again, thank you for introducing me to the public. Uh, the point is that, um, like the, uh, this gender balance, um, in the political TV shows is quite, uh, I would say is quite interesting in Russia. But, uh, I would say that it's quite similar to what you have just described in Romania. Yeah, the majority of uh, experts uh, like is a um, man, but of course sometimes women are also invited to express their ideas and thoughts. But these women, I would say, are mostly deputies or as we call, as we call them parliamentarians. And uh, while trying to um, to while trying to dis discuss or examine certain issues. I would say that they try to emulate or to copy the behavior of men. Yeah. And uh, as for feminism and other post-materialist uh, uh, post issues, they are considered to be quite dangerous in uh, Russian society. And the great empathy... Really? Feminism? I understand that the LGBT is dangerous, but also feminism. Let us not forget that you have very strong feminist tradition. You were the first to appoint a woman 
in the government, Alexandra Kolonta, you were quite progressive. So it is not like uh, feminism was invented in the West. You had yeah. such important thinkers. And I just uh, mentioned this, this seminal, this, this very, very progressive activist and a person that published a lot of books and had a lot of ideas that is Alexandra Kolontai. So how come the first country that appointed a woman in the government came to think that feminism is dangerous? Uh, actually, as for Kolontai, yeah, uh, I once I even read a book about her, and just I know that it was a progressive step just to appoint her a diplomat, a female, the first female diplomat. But now, or what we are witnessing now, is just a bit, mildly speaking, it's a bit different from what we, we saw in the past. Uh, right now, just feminism and um, some, uh, yeah, as I have as I have called them, post materials values are considered to be alien to Russian society. Uh, greater emphasis is being put on uh, conservatism and conservative ideas, and uh, just um, certain laws uh, have been passed by the Russian parliament just to kind of counter certain post-materialist trends. Yes, uh, and uh, one of such um, steps is to um, kind of is to try to uh, to remove books that contain the information about the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, for example. Yes, so in other words, it's a ban on uh, gay propaganda. Yeah. As for, uh, again, if we go back to feminism in general, this um, is quite, the, uh, like, it all sounds Greek to um, the two current uh, parliamentarians and deputies, despite that there are some uh, female parliamentarians and uh, that, yeah, as I have just said, that uh, are invited to these political TV shows and they can uh, air their opinions. But again, as for their uh, behavior, they, tr they try to copy uh, the behavior of men and they don't promote the feminist agenda at all. They just, their purposes right now is just to speak about what uh, what is going on on the front line and the military uh, campaign um, in, in Ukraine and uh, such things. Yes. So uh, that, and, that... And you told me because I was quite surprised by Vladimir's Vladimir Putin's discourse. One year after the war started, he um, had this speech that everybody commented on. And uh, he said that in Russia, everybody could live as they like, but uh, that uh, the West is uh, decaying and that the West is corrupt. And to tell you the truth, he, he sounds like an elderly person that is a little bit rigid and quite ridiculous, I would say. Uh, he, he made me laugh in a sense that when you look at it from the dis from a distance, he pretty much sounds like a grandpa here in Romania being very, very, you know, uh, upset with the way the young people today are behaving because during his time, you know, things were better and all the rest. But this man has such power and I think it's such a, a, a terrible, terrible thing to have somebody with such closed mind mentality in such a position of power. But of course, 
And the other extreme, we have to emphasize that uh, Joe Biden, for instance, is paying lipstick to the most extreme forms of, uh, of progressive thinking. But I think it's a political cynical calculus and he's not even paying attention that maybe some of that will, some of that progressive thinking would be controversial in it out of itself. Uh, so I'm not saying that that, that the Joe Biden model is the one we should follow because I don't think for a second that he truly pays lipstick to the progressives in the United States because he truly believes in it. It's a political calculus. But on the other hand, you have Vladimir Putin, uh, with a very, very backward mentality, especially with regards to these things that I think could not be changed, you know, in a sense that the genie is out of the bottle. What are you going to do about it? Just stay bitter and, you know, upset that, uh, you know, the young people are corrupt and they are depraved. And so what? What are you going to do about it? I mean, the police in the bedroom, what are you going to do about it? I wouldn't call it a backward mentality, just because backward has a very pejorative connotation. Just uh, what uh, Vladimir Putin um, uh, aired once uh, is an, is a viewpoint shared by, uh, let's say, the older generations. And as we know, this like generation gap has always existed. Like um, scientifically speaking, many uh, many living generations have been categorized into a couple of groups. Like the silent generation, like that's the way it is called in the West, then baby boomers and uh, so on and so forth. So the current generation that we are witnessing now is uh, Gen Z, like this like young people who, who are quite progressive and who are supposed to advocate certain post-materialist values like the green values and such like. Uh, Putin, in fact, again, uh, Putin is not a young man and definitely some of his uh, ideas are tightly related to the past. Yeah. And, uh, just, uh, that's why, like, the very, uh, the, all that, like, m most of his attempts or most of his ways, uh, of, um, uh, like, uh, changing uh, the, the current status quo of changing Russia, uh, are mostly about the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, frankly speaking, like, I wouldn't say that some people here know, like, some, uh, know something about the future of Russia. It's very difficult to predict what kind of Russia people want. Everyone, not everyone, it would be an exaggeration. Most people think about the past, the glorious past. That uh, once we defeated, that once we defeated Nazi Germany, that was great. The Soviet Union was great. Then some tumultuous era came in the 1990s. It ruined practically everything. And now, just what we are trying to do is just is is recalling all those um, glorious days to get the justice. Yeah, and that's the way. Like Ukrainian is uh, Ukraine is also looked at. I mean that uh, some attempts to kind of to get uh, those territories uh, are related to the past. Just uh, mm -hmm. yes, once, once like it was uh, like the Soviet Union was a big country, then it collapsed. Uh, Putin himself described it as a great geopolitical catastrophe. 
Yeah, and uh, like, yeah, we should look at the current situation through these lenses as well, like like historical justice, if we can call that way. But that's a great problem just because not all people would like to follow his suit. Uh, Russia is not only about older generations. It, as you have uh, uh, said, Russia is a diverse country and just different voices are supposed to be heard and even listen, and not only heard, but listened to as well. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what we can see right now. Yeah, I, I would say that that's a big problem because the way to project power is to inspire people and especially younger generations and that you're not going to do that by professing this uh, rigid mentality that may have some appeal to a large population in Russia, but for the youngest and the most progressive, bright, brilliant people, I think it's it kind of looks a little bit odd. <laughs> now, going to another, another important question here. I often told in this program, and I'm thinking this is the case not only for Romania, but other important parts of the, the world. There are right-wing elements who are pro-Russian, but I would say for the most toxic reasons. What do I mean by that? They tend to project on Russia um, right-wing aspirations. I heard for instance, uh, Romanians who are pro-Russians, but I heard Republicans and uh, conservative people in the United States referring to Russia as some sort of promised land of the conservatives. What do I mean by that? Uh, referring to Russia as one nation that is white, that is coherent, that is ethnically pure, that is... Uh, following its national identity, that is determined to assert its national identity, that is anti-globalist, that is um, nationalist, and all the rest. But I know that there are many types of ethnicities in Russia. A lot of people live there who are not one and the same. And I would like you to probably um, shatter this myth about Russia being so coherent, so white, so, uh, you know, ethnically pure, as they refer to it, and so, uh, you know, conservative. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, it's great to hear uh, such things that, you know, Russia is a great country, that it's like, uh, it's a paradise or something like this. Uh, on the other hand, we should understand that just certain stereotypes are involved in this. And uh, this, the purpose of these stereotypes is just to maybe to vilify other Western countries and uh, to show that uh, that Russia is the best example and we should follow uh, its its suit and so on. I wouldn't call like uh, Russia a coherent country. First of all, uh, Russia is a diverse country and it has always been famous for its uh, ethnicity. 
yeah, and different ethnic groups and different, uh, I would say, uh, different uh, groups that uh, that can coexist with each other peacefully. Yeah, at least they, I think, have managed to do that, or they have learned how to do that over the recent decades. Yeah, and uh, just in terms of conservatism uh, and all these ideas, uh, of course, right now they are on its rise. Yeah, but uh, that's not something new, because uh, in the 19th century, Russia witnessed the emergence of two camps. Like, the first camp uh, was about those who... Uh, who, who were called patriots and those who uh, advocated all these uh, Slavanophile things. The, the other camp was pro-Western and then there was a certain schism between them and, so the, and this, this schism always fueled uh, the tensions. Right now we can see practically the same story, just um, conservatism um, is used as I said, or the conservative agenda itself is used in order to promote or to pursue the interests of a particular group of people. Uh, like, uh, and just uh, that's the way of playing into their, into their hands. That's the way I that's the way I see it. But um, it's not mostly about certain deeds. I would say it's mostly about words. If we take a look at uh, the uh, at the at the divorce rates in Russia or at some other things, we will see that definitely Russia is not a conservative country here, and it still it uh, it is supposed to learn a lot uh, how to how to be this paradise and how to to be a real champion of all these uh, ideas. But yeah. tell me uh, because. It's a paradise, but I told you from a progressive point of view is, is something horrible, <laughs> you know, because if you look at what these people are saying, they are projecting on Vladimir Putin this kind of uh, toxic masculinity values that they aspire to, you know, that he's the leader, he's the man, he cracks down on minorities and on feminists. And uh, for some people, that is the ideal way to behave, but I think for most of us, it's not. Um, and I would like to know what is the biggest minority and what are the most important minorities that coexist in Russia? And uh, I'm asking this because there is this idea that apparently was put forward by Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, the advisor of, of Jimmy Carter, and uh, he said that at some point Russia has to be partitioned into uh, regions dominated by certain minorities, ethnic minorities, in order to defeat it forever and never allow it to, uh, to you know, um, to put any sort of, of uh, and to be dangerous for, for the West. Uh, yeah, this rhetoric is quite uh, familiar to me. At the same time, it is quite infamous. And uh, unfortunately, uh, as I have heard, right now these debates are uh, like uh, these debates are underway. Uh, yeah, not just in the United States, but in some European countries. And moreover, those like the liberal. Uh, those liberals who have left Russia so far uh, actively participate in such discussions, uh, thus playing into the hands of, uh, of the Kremlin. Yes, 
uh, and um, so, and uh, there are those who really dream of uh, like um, of uh, the Russia's petition. But uh, the point is that uh, like that's uh, just um, I would say that this rhetoric uh, is quite uh, it has nothing to do with reality. I mean, and just it's about some it's 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 weird even to talk about that. As for the composition, the ethnic composition of uh, Russia, of course, it's as I have said, uh, it's quite diverse. So Russians, of course, uh, go or they come first. In terms of the population, then we have such ethnic groups as Tatars, yeah, and then Chechens. You know, now maybe you you may have heard of the of the problem yeah. in the 1990s, like when Chechnya tried to gain its independence in um, uh, from from Russia. Tatarstan, by the way, wanted to do the same, but uh, it uh, but to no avail. Then, as uh, so, Tatars, Chechens, then we have the Bashkir ethnic group and uh, other groups. Yes, so I mean, but as for the uh, the Russians, of course, they come first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand. So tell me a little bit about the discourse. I and this is the, the, the for the last uh, part. Tell me a little bit about the discourse of Vladimir Putin. The discourse that he gave was in stark contrast with the discourse Joe Biden gave in Poland. In a sense that while Joe Biden um relied a lot on rhetoric he basically didn't say much he said uh, and he repeated all the talking points the western leaders put forward since the war started but uh, vladimir putin spoke for almost two hours and he gave a lot of data he gave a lot of references he put forward plans he had this short intervention about the lgbt that we already covered but besides that that was to say like two minutes and the rest of the discourse was about his plans the economy his ideas uh, giving a lot of rights to the military personnel investing in science helping families but to tell you the truth it was quite dull and boring but let me tell you are the russian accustomed to this they wait for this type of discourse how was it perceived uh, first of all, like um, there are different types of speeches. Like this time, uh, Putin addressed the like federal assembly and the politicians, and his uh, like such speeches are completely different from his statements or his addresses to ordinary citizens. And of course, this very um, like this very intervention or contribution was completely different from what he did on the 24th of February when uh, the war started or broke out. Uh, as for his two-hour long talk, frankly speaking, then it could just uh, uh, it could have been uh, narrowed down to some bare essentials. I mean that just we uh, personally, those people, I mean, have uh, read or observed a lot of his speeches. We have heard nothing new. The same story that Russia, um, Russia will gain, uh, will gain or will will gain the upper hand over the West. 
that we must do a lot of things uh, just to achieve this. Of course, that we are the victorious nation uh, and uh, just that certain values are supposed to be uh, promoted and aired. Yeah, as for Biden, of course, I, th I think that's the rhetoric. Uh, just that's one of the peculiarities of Western rhetoric. Yeah, Western speeches are supposed to be concise and clear. Biden's rhetoric uh, was general, but it was similar to some uh, pre-electoral uh, statement kind of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, just the point is that he his purpose was to elaborate uh, a grand strategy, uh, while Putin, uh, while uh, Putin, as I think, sought to give as many details as possible, just to show that everything is going according to plan. That's the way I see it. But uh, actually, he then uh, described his own speech, and he said that, frankly speaking, uh, like, like speaking and listening to what I'm saying are completely different things. Like they are like chalk and cheese. That was his own words. Yes, that was like yeah. He, sometimes he has he shows a good sense of humor. He's quite. <laughs> Yeah, self-irony. But I saw him that he went on the stadium and he had this type of, you know, theatrical discourse at some point addressing the people directly. Because when I saw him discussing, I thought to myself, my man, if this is the way he addresses the public in general, how are these people, why are they supporting him? Because he seems so boring. <laughs> and uh, I saw the next day, I think it was an Indian station, but uh, he went on, on a huge stadium full of people and he was acclaimed. And then he gave a speech resembling the one Joe Biden gave, isn't it? Uh, I would say yes, in terms of the length of the speech, but all the ideas were the same. Um, yeah, like that. Just the point is that uh, it's all about this propaganda machine. Like all the messages are supposed to be kind of they are supposed to circulate uh, in the media, and they should be shared by different politicians, talking heads, journalists, and uh, then they become kind of enshrined in people's minds or they become etched onto the people's memories, and then just they can use these ideas. If you take a look at different people, if you try to speak uh, to those yeah, who uh, are pro-Putin or pro-war, then you will see that they unfortunately use the same cliches and the same vocabulary. It's all about values. That's about uh, our attempts to change the word order, to get some justice, to get rid of Western shackles and such like. So Putin is just the quintessence of all these things. And uh, like for, uh, for uh, I think for political scientists, he has said any, uh, he has said nothing new. Just everything was the same. And even this speech was like I mean that the speech that this two-hour speech was completely similar to what he uh, delivered uh, last year, and uh, so and uh, so on and so forth. So yeah, but an important element was that he, for example, he said he said that uh, no one would be kind of uh, persecuted for his or her own opinions. 
Yeah, and uh, just uh, yes, it's no significant punishment uh, would be like uh, would be delivered to these people, and then like the the same week or just yeah, one of the state regulators or yeah, it's called Roskomnadzor. Yeah, every week for a couple of uh, for a couple of months, Roskomnadzor, that's the state regulator, uh, has been uh, issuing uh, a list of foreign agents. Yes, oh. and yeah, and uh, just right after his speech, Roskomnadzor uh, 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 didn't publish anything. So that was quite an interesting coincidence. Maybe that was just not, uh, like that was one of the reflections of his speeches. Yes, very interesting, very mm -hmm. interesting. So no retaliation after the speech, uh, and you have the state institution that basically issued blacklist of people who are foreign agents and after he gave that speech they haven't issued that kind of list very very interesting yeah but, 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 yeah, but at the same time yes the, the like the link i think uh, is quite obvious mm -hmm. yeah but tell me what is the most disgusting form of propaganda you came across in the West with regards to Russia? What was your biggest disappointment in the way the Western media portrayed Russia or Russians? And what was your biggest disappointment in Russia in terms of propaganda? Yeah, like... Um... As for uh, my feelings, and just I, um, I won't say that I have been disappointed by some like uh, messages, just because that may be difficult to be disappointed by propaganda. Propaganda is always about exaggerating, and uh, yeah, in most cases, it's all about exaggerating and oversimplifying things. But what I'm, uh, but what I have personally got tired of. Is all these cliches that Putin is the new Hitler? Just for me, this very cliche is overused, and uh, I, uh, as I see it, it, has nothing to do with reality. Actually, the very idea of Western media uh, to uh, equate Russia with Putin and Putin with Russia uh, is quite—I uh, would say that it's quite foolish. And uh, it's it play it's, it again plays into the hands of the Kremlin, yeah. Just uh, because they use it to say, look how they portray us. You have to follow my lead because I will protect you from these uh, people that portray you like this. This is the way they they spin it. Yeah, yeah. But just all these comparisons uh, betray uh, shallow analysis. Just uh, like again, the West. Um, the Ukraine conflict is something that the West hasn't seen for many decades. Right now, of course, it's like it's uh, it it is being presented as an existential threat to secure to national security, international security, and of course, some historical parallels are quite striking. But yeah, that it can be some. They say it can be compared with what we saw in the 1930s and in the 1940s. Just the same strategies and the same weapons. But um, no, just Putin, uh, I'm very sorry, but Putin and Hitler are completely different things and completely different people. And uh, But while uh, disseminating this kind of information, the Western media would say shifts focus away from things that are much more essential. I mean, the, the lives of ordinary Russians. Yeah. 
and uh, the things that they have to experience on a day-to-day basis. Just for them, Russia is is Putin, yes, and Putin is everywhere. That's why it's uh, it's always he he has always been uh, part of different caricatures and cartoons. Yeah, and also the Russian bear, of course. But as for the Russian bear, yeah, it has existed for centuries. We cannot do anything about it. That's like one of the key symbols. But Putin right now is everywhere, and then it's just, um, yeah, as if there were no other people. So that's what I don't like about this. As for Russian propaganda, frankly speaking, it's um, different, of course, from Western propaganda in the sense that it's not so subtle. And just we, uh, uh, yeah, it's not subtle, but at the same time, it's, uh, it works. Uh, and it has an impact on those people who don't have critical and uh, critical thinking skills and uh, such like just those people who have no time to think about what is going on around them. But for me, just the key, uh, the, like the biggest uh, pain in the neck um, is, if we can call it that way, is the, that um, is an attempt to persuade uh, people that Ukraine doesn't have its own statehood, that Ukraine is not a state. Yes, and uh, just that it's a puppet state, and um, uh, it's a puppet state in the hands of the West. Yeah, uh, nothing else. And um, in, like by looking uh, at the story through these lenses, the Russian government, let's say, has both overestimated and underestimated uh, Ukrainian nationalism. So they just, uh, like, politicians just don't know what it is. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, but, uh, but while looking at the story uh, through these lenses, through these oversimplified lenses, you may easily, like, uh, arrive at the wrong conclusions. Just, yeah, and if you always, like, uh, and you repeat it time and again yes and you start, you start like uh, believing in that mm-hmm. unfortunately and um, yeah all of us are people are social beings and when we say that politicians are clever and intelligent that's not true they are also people and they can fall prey to the same stereotypes cliches and emotive language on their own yeah, and uh, because uh, uh, propaganda may just replace uh, unbiased analysis. That's the way we see it. Thank you so much, Maria. I think what you said here is very, very valuable. And I urge the viewers to um, follow what you said and provide us with important comments and questions. We we will try to invite you and to have you back on our show because it's important to discuss Russia with Russians and to have this kind of clear-headed rational analysis of what's going on, at, at least in terms of uh, propaganda. Thank you so much for being here with us. And to our viewers, if you like what you saw, please consider subscribing to our channel, donating to our page, patreon.com slash the barricade or via PayPal. support us. We have a small community of donors to whom we are very thankful. And uh, thank you again and see you all next week. Thank you for having me today.